distantly excited for what God is doing in them. Uh, we've been in, pulling this up real quick, we have been in a series recently. How many of you guys have, have enjoyed this series, yeah. learning about the book of Psalms? So we're wrapping up this series today. Uh, the title of this is The Last Hallel, um, and the Rhythms for Life. So we'll, we'll, let's just recap just for a brief moment of what we've gone through um, so far throughout this Throughout the series, I think it's good to do recaps, amen? Yep. Not, just, not just in school, it's not for school time, it's also for us to recap and to learn things and to remember it whenever we're also at church. It's a good thing to do that. So we talked about there's, there's three different types of psalms that we find, and uh, within the second one, there are two different subcategories. The first one are psalms of orientation. This is where we understand that God rules. So when you look at the book of psalms, there are a series of psalms that talks about how God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. They talk about his great attributes, the things that, that we should know about him that gives us a solid foundation, the orientation stage of our belief in who God is. So these are orientation psalms, psalms that declare his goodness, his sovereignty, his rulership, his power, his might, all these things. And then you move to the second category, which is uh, psalms of disorientation. Now these, there are two different stages of psalms of disorientation. So the first one we said that God rules, in the disorientation psalms, this is where God allows, God allows for something to happen. Some type of tragedy, some type of ailment, something like that. God, God seemingly allows this to happen to us in our lives. And in this, this could be something that is uh, personally done. So this could be in your own personal life where you have maybe a sickness, maybe an illness. It could be something like that that's happened. Uh, it could be an accusation. Someone brings something against you. Whether if it be true or whether it be false, it's an, it's, you're being accused of something personally. Now, this could also be communal. This could be like maybe a famine or a plague or something like that happens. Or it could be uh, some kind of war that happens in there. It could be a civil war or it could be a national war, something like that. So this is a, a disorientation, something that happens that kind of, kind of punches you in the face and causes you to kind of stumble a little bit and, and try to think about some things. And depending on the severity of it, it could bring you into... Uh, a quite a, a hopeless sense or hopeless thought process because of the severity of things. And how many guys know that living in life, there's some things that happen at times that causes you to really question and consider what's going on. Yep. And then you have the second stage. The second stage is that God speaks. God speaks. This is disorientation stage two. And this is the same situation and scenario is happening right now, whether if it's the same sickness, disease, the same kind of ailment, maybe the, the accusation or the civil unrest or the national unrest, whatever is going on, this is occurring. However, this is where God reveals that he is still the sovereign God to you and your perspective changes. It may not be that you're out of the situation, but you understand and realize and put your faith and trust and hope in God. This is where you also deal with the fact that you are in this situation. Because in disorientation stage one, you could be, you could be just a little bit standoffish and not really come to grips that this is happening to you, thinking that this is just some kind of weird, you know, uh, circumstance and the zeitgeist, something happened, and it's like, bam, uh, this is just not even happening. You're, you're, you're kind of... Um, in denial, you're in big time denial. Thank you, that was the word I was fishing for that whole time. You're in denial of what was, what's actually happening. 
You're also looking back towards hoping that you could go back and wishing that you can go back to the times that it was good where you just believed that God ruled and that nothing bad would happen to you in the middle of that. You're still caught up in the past and hoping and wishing that that was going on. I think there's a lot of people stuck in this stage one disorientation because of that. Because they're looking back so much, looking back at the good old days and the good old times and wishing and hoping that they could be, be back there again and they could be exciting like that again or whatever is going on. And that it's just not the way that they had remembered it being anymore. But when you come to grips that this is the reality of my life right now, and this is the circumstance that's happening, this is what's going on, then you could start to deal with your orientated focus. Where is my focus? If my focus is looking back and looking to the past, then I will never get to where God wants me to go in the future. We'll never be able to do it. You're actually worshiping the past, even though you understand that God is the ruler and you realize that and that's the orientation that you have, your belief system, your foundation. But if you are only focusing on what was, then you will never move forward into what will be. And so dwelling in that place means that you're now worshiping an era or a time. Even though God was in that, you're still worshiping that and not actually looking forward and listening to what he is currently telling you now. And so this is where disorientation stage two is beautiful because this is where God speaks to you now. And now you can deal with the circumstance currently so that you can move forward into what he has for you. Disorientation stage two, God speaks. And then we see, uh, we talked about this last week, was the reorientation phase. This is where God acts. This is the, the co-laboring process that we get to see. Where as we walk through faith and trust in God, knowing that this is who he is and what he does, then we start to see the testimony unfold in front of our eyes. We deal with the things that are currently going on. What, am, what, what it is that is happening to me and what is it that I can do in the midst of this that glorifies God and that honors him and then walks out in obedience. And then in the midst of that, if it's, let, let's just say it's accusatory. You're being accused of something. And let's say that you're guilty of whatever it was that you're being accused of. Let's go to that nth degree. You're guilty of whatever it is that you're accused of, but you refuse to believe that you're caught. So you're looking back into the days that you feel like you are free or you can get away with some of those things. But once you come to the realization that this is what's going on because I have been caught doing what it was that I was not supposed to be doing. Now I need to come to the realization that I am not invincible and I am not the sovereign God able to do whatever it is that I want to. And that the offense that I caused somebody needs to be dealt with. So I need to go and I need to ask that person for forgiveness. Whether or not they grant it to you, you still offer them forgiveness. And then you go through the process of forgiving yourself for harming and hurting other people in the middle of whatever it was that happened. Those are the things that you can do in those steps to see the testimony unfold. It may not be an immediate process of you ask for forgiveness and then now everything is the greatest. Now you have the greatest testimony. It may be a road that takes that other person quite a bit of time to come to grips that they can also forgive you. But that's where your process of faith in the Lord is strong. Because when you ask for forgiveness and you pray for that person to receive the healing that they need for the harm that you have caused. 
flip it around the other side. Maybe you've been disoriented because somebody has harmed you in a specific way. Maybe somebody has done something against you that's caused you lots of wounding and lots of heartache. Wishing that you were back in those innocent days before those things happened or before that occurrence happened or before that money was lost or stolen or before any of those things happened, before that business was wiped away, before that family member left, before X, Y, Z. You can input anything that you want to. Before those things happened, you were looking back and wishing for those days that had once happened. But coming to the grips and the realization that this is what's happening right now, this was what they did. And now, instead of harboring bitterness and holding on and worshiping the past, let's start to walk through these steps of what it means to see healing manifest inside my life through the Holy Spirit's activity. So what are my next steps? Do I need to go through and forgive this person? Am I harboring unforgiveness in my heart? Whether or not they offered me forgiveness or not, it's eating me alive, and so forgiveness is supposed to set me free. And so I will walk through and I will go through the process, sometimes painstakingly, of forgiving those people who have harmed me. And then praying for them that they would come to an understanding of conviction of the things that they have done so that they can walk out their own healing. Because many times, hurt people will hurt people. And that cycle will continue. And so unless I, unless I break that cycle by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my heart, then it will be very difficult for those who I'm around and who I'm responsible for to also receive their healing or to just not be wounded the same way that I was. God speaks and then God acts. The activity that we see in the reorientation stage is amazing because you may be the person that was set free in the middle of this process. And so you're talking about the testimony, even though that person still may not have that forgiveness lined out in their own life. However, you have forgiven them of those things, and now you're experiencing freedom in your life and seeing the testimony of that. That's the reorientation stage. It means that, that you are seeing the testimony, but it may not be, I mean, it could be the finalized aspect where you're like, wow, this was, this whole situation, I can just wrap it up, I can tie a bow on it, and bam, it's beautiful. Like, you can see it in its totality. But it may be in a process to where it's like, I have received freedom, so let me tell you about the, receipt, the freedom that I have received by walking through this scenario. And we're still praying for the rest of this situation to see through the same way that I believe God has seen it in my life. And so those are the stages that we see throughout the book of Psalms. And I, what I want to do is, is, Philip, if you can pull that graphic up for me, please. Um, I want to show this graphic one more time because I think this is very powerful for us to understand. That, uh, th and I pulled this from uh, Dr. Boda. He, he taught a class over the book of Psalms. He was my, my, uh, my Old Testament professor. And uh, he had this in one of his presentations, and so I ganked it from him because I thought it was really good. Uh, so if you see in the, in the uh, section that is purple, um, the purple section, that's the orientation section. That's the percentage, 29% of the psalms are psalms of orientation, talking about God's rulership. God is a ruler, as a sovereign ruler. Disorientation stage one is the blue one. It's the blue all the, all the way at the bottom, the very bottom one. That's 8% of the book of psalms are these psalms of disorientation. That's the ones where you feel like you're hopeless, like there's nothing good there. Psalm 88 was the example that we used, as uh, many commentators call it, the saddest of all the psalms. 
it's the most depressing uh, read of, of one of the, the passages in the book of Psalms. So disorientation, stage one, 8% of that, which means that there are times that you will feel this. I think this is why the book of Psalms is so valuable is because it actually un, uh, it unveils and it shows that these are emotions that we go through as humans. These are things and phases that we encounter when we see things happen and tragedy striking. And so this is great to be able to model and say, hey, in the Bible, there are hard times where people just thought everything was going to the absolute garbage heap. That that was it. And that was the conclusion of that chapter. It was just bad. 8% of those were that. And then even more importantly, I think the disorientation stage two, the process of, of refocusing your mind and realizing the position that you're in and what's happening in the midst of that process is the disorientation stage two, which is 48% of the Psalms are disorientation stage two Psalms, where someone is in the middle of some kind of, of, of conflict, of tragedy or circumstance, but they're listening to the voice of God. The voice of God speaks, and so the tone. In each of these, you can tell the chapter will start going through, and you'll see the the things that are happening, the, the horrible circumstance, even their petition and their plea to the Lord, um, even calling upon their own righteousness or the character of God, all these things that we do in prayer. Oh, God, why? Oh, what's going on? But you're supposed to be this good God. And I've been so righteous all these days or whatever is going on. And then at the very end of the psalm, you'll see a flip happen to where they change their perspective. But God, you are mighty. God, you are the deliverer. God, you will set the captives free. God, you will see us through to the end. All these things. It's the change of perspective. 48%, which is an amazing encouragement to us as we go through certain things in life, knowing that this is something that these guys were, for the majority of the book of Psalms, were going through things. However, they were able to hear God's voice still in the midst of it. And then we move to the 15%, which is in the green. 15% of the Psalms were the reorientation process, letting you know that God will see you through, that there's a testimony at the end of this, that as you put your faith, your hope, and your trust in the Lord, that these will happen. Um, I think that this is, this is something, I've mentioned this before, but I think I, I would love to, to go over the book of Psalms lots of times during the summer hit many of these again not that we're gonna i'm gonna give the same exact message but this kind of gives you a baseline of the next time that we start to revisit some psalms that these are some things we can look at because there's many different ways the psalms the book of psalms is actually broken up into a series of books which is interesting there's books inside of the book of psalms and the way that they categorize these and place them and there's different themes and messages throughout each of these that actually paint a, a grander picture so it's very fascinating to go through and to look at that. So today, what I wanted to do is I want to go through uh, Psalm 150. This is the, the final psalm that we see in the Psalter. Psalm 150, and this is uh, in a series of, of final halals, the uh, final celebrations, final praise psalms. If you look there, there's it's like a, it's like a, a song that's building up from the very beginning, and it moves into a final crescendo of just fanatical praise. They call this the, the doxology of doxologies. It's the, 
the highest form that they can, they can end with. So it's like at the very end of a concert where you have like the last portion where everything is just going nuts. Every instrument is at its highest capacity volume-wise. The lights are as bright as they can get. The voices are as loud as they can go. Everybody in the, in the congregation or the crowd has, has also erupted in, in glorious praise and clapping and just noise is just massive in the middle of that. This is that psalm at the end of this altar. And so we start here in verse 1. He says this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Let's pause there. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Uh, this past weekend, I, uh, for the program that I work for at Three Rivers, um, we took a s- group of students to do a, a series of STEM activities. And uh, on Friday, we did stuff at SEMO. Uh, we went and saw the Cardinals play on Thursday night. Then we woke up early Friday morning and went to a bird sanctuary. Never been to a bird sanctuary in my life. I didn't even know those things existed. <laughs> like, I, I kind of chuckled when they first said that we we're going to go to a bird sanctuary because I thought the lady was messing with me. <laughs> no, just oblivious to the fact that there were bird sanctuaries. And then, as, as she was describing, yeah, there, it's, no, it really is a bird sanctuary. And I was like, dear God, that's going to be the most boring thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Just go and hang out at a bird sanctuary? What is, what is this place? So I, I imagined a room probably about this size with, you know, just cages all around, and you're going around kind of like you're at a zoo or something like that, just a bunch of little bitty things, and you're like, oh, I just made a circle and saw a couple birds just go, or whatever, you know, and that's it. Man, this is... We're going to be here for an hour at least, maybe an hour and a half. These kids are going to hate me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All these high school kids, like, who's this loser bringing me to a bunch of birds? Like, come on, dude. We could have could have seen at least like a penguin or something like that. But a bird, these kind of birds. So we went to this bird sanctuary, and um, again, I, I was picturing a building. Because typically when you think of things that are going to be in cages, you think you're going to be in buildings and stuff like that. And, or maybe I'm just... That's just my own thought process. Maybe you didn't think about that at all. <laughs> However, when we pulled up to this bird sanctuary in Fenton, there were, there were a few just little buildings, but they were more for the employees and the workers. They, they, they had a gift shop and stuff like that, bathrooms, but none of the rest of the stuff was enclosed in buildings. So I'm like, this is interesting. So they took us on this path where they, were walk- where they had all these birds in different places, and the sanctuary was interesting um, because these were for birds of prey. And so that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. I was like, oh, snap, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so now I started thinking of them like dinosaurs, like they're just eating some meat and stuff like that. I was like, no, nah, you, got, you got my attention a little bit. We started walking around, and the lady was telling us that, that it started out as a hospital for birds of prey. They didn't have any kind of hospitals in the area for any of these birds if they were wounded or injured or anything like that. And then they also used that to, uh, to breed endangered species to make sure that they were able to, um, to repopulate and to do some of those things. And uh, their purpose is to rehab these birds of prey and then release them back into the wild so that they can be used again in their fullest capacity. And sometimes it's like they have like a, a, a baby that just hatched and maybe the, uh, the nest got messed up or something like that, and then they were able to kind of pull them together. And so 
that started to interest me a little bit more is that it wasn't just for, hey, we're going to capture these things and we're just going to put them in these cages and that's it. They, they actually said, we don't use the verbiage cages when we're here. These are temporary habitats. Temporary habitats for these birds to be able to be rehabbed and then set free. And then for the ones who have injuries that are not rehabable, they get them to a position to where they are as healthy as they could be and then they give them a retirement home is what they call it. <laughs> to where they're able to have free health care. They get all the food, you know, they get three square meals a day, and then they're able to, uh, to hang out and just to enjoy being alive and not being eaten by preys and, and dying and things like that. And they extend these birds' lives for quite a bit of time. And I started to think about that a little bit more as, as we walked through and saw each of these birds, and she had a story. There was a story for each one of these birds. This bird we found in this place. This was wrong with it, and this is the process that we're bringing them through. Um, and then after they're done in, in, this, in this temporary habitat, we actually move them to a, another location that's unseen so that they can start to kind of spread their wings a little bit more. They can learn how to fly or they can learn how to do the things that they weren't able to do. And then once they get to a certain point, then we'll release them. We'll do a whole big thing to release these, these birds in the spaces that they need to. I was thinking about that more and more and how my understanding of a sanctuary was limited to four walls. Four walls and kind of like an imprisoned thought process. You think of a bird sanctuary, I thought that it was they were going to be within these four walls, they were going to be in cages, they were going to be limited in being able to move around and do things that they needed to. However, this sanctuary was actually used for something else. A sanctuary in, uh, defined is, is actually a consecrated place. The biblical definition of it here in the ancient Hebrew temple uh, at Jerusalem, they called it a sanctuary, or it's holy of holies. The most sacred part of a religious building was the sanctuary. It's a place like a church or a temple designated for worship. It's also a, a, a place of refuge and protection. Refuge for wildlife where predators are controlled and hunting is illegal. The immunity from law attached to a sanctuary. So when these birds are in this sanctuary, prey, those who would prey upon these birds are not allowed to coexist with these animals. And if for some reason something breaks in and attempts to to kill or to eat or anything of these animals, guess what happens? The ones who work there, they actually go in and eradicate and discard those prey from these birds, protecting them from destruction. Also at night, they set a, a barrier or a shield of protection by turning on an electric fence to keep raccoons and some of these other uh, animals that would try to be sneaky to come in and try to eat these birds. Sanctuary, the sanctuary, the place of the Lord's dwelling. It, if you think about it even a little bit more, um, in one of the commentaries, the New International Commentary of the Old Testament, they say this, the temple in Jerusalem was viewed by the Israelites as the dwelling place of God or the name of God on earth. The singers of the Psalm 150 refer to the temple as their sanctuary 
literally their holy place. In the act of worship, the sacred and the mundane meet and commune. And for a holy time, the boundaries are transcended. The boundary of heaven and earth come together and they meet, and it overlaps. And verse 2 gives reason for praise. God's mighty deeds are exceeding greatness. So let's go to verse 2 if we would, Philip. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Verses 3 through 5, it, it tells the methods that worshipers are to offer praise to God. This is where music and dancing were a huge part of ancient worship. And the four other, uh, they call them the doxological psalms of book 5. These are the last, the last five psalms in the book of Psalms. So 40, 146 through 150. The worshipers announced their intention to sing and make music to God. This describes an array as a full symphony in which every instrument of the orchestra joins the human voice in giving praise. In verse 6, it calls for every breathing thing to praise the Lord. And it echoes and envelops the proclamation by the singer of Psalm 145 that the praise of the Lord, my mouth will speak all flesh and they will bless his holy name. We can have lots of discussions about what constitutes every breathing thing in contrast to all flesh, but the clear intention of Psalm 150 is that all creation will, pro will pause and praise the Lord. The very first psalm begins with the wisdom psalm in Psalm 1, calling on the faithful to delight in and meditate on the Torah or on the scriptures. The story of the Psalter is the story of God's faithful care for the Israelites and for all creation. And at the end of the story, the faithful, along with all of creation, offer absolute praise to God. God calls Christians today to delight in and meditate upon the story of God's dealings with our ancestors in the faith. God also calls us to delight in and meditate upon God's faithful care for us and our communities of faith. When we accept the story as our own, we accept God as our Lord, the only response is unbridled praise. Hallelujah. The sanctuary, the place where we get to praise God, is a very sacred place. It's a holy place. When we gather together, this is an amazing thing. However, our bodies are also called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so whenever you gather, and whenever your attention is drawn towards the Lord, then just like a sanctuary, I'm, I'm brought to the passage in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Again, he leads me into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Rod and staff comfort me. Prepares a, ta a table before me, a place before me in the presence of my enemies. 
He doesn't do these things before he restores your soul. He mentions at first, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside still waters, restores my soul. The sanctuary, whenever I saw that with the bird sanctuary, it gave me a greater understanding of what it means to be in the sanctuary of the Lord. When we come into his presence, he comes and he restores us. We don't come completely well. He doesn't give us a directive. You can only come to salvation if you get everything right first and then you're good. No, we were wounded birds, man, whatever he found us. He found us and then he brought us into his sanctuary. Now, the, the interesting thing about these birds that I found out, too, is that if the birds, if they, if, they, uh, if they refuse or reject a lot of the treatment, it's a lot longer process for the birds to become well and to go through the process. However, if they come to a position of being able to surrender and allow the people to help them, then they will recover faster and they'll be able to take flight sooner. And so whenever we come into the presence of his sanctuary, whenever we come into right relationship where now our bodies are the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, the sanctuary, the temple of the Holy Spirit is inside of us, then his Holy Spirit dwells with us, and then we are able to then work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Am I too wounded to feel like he can help me Therefore, I'm pushing away from him to actually deal with things inside my heart. Or will I surrender to the help, even though it may be a little painful or a lot painful to have to deal with some of the wounds that have happened beforehand? There he will give me rest. He will restore my soul so that I'm not just cooped up into a place left and abandoned and ready for prey to come and devour me. He can actually take me in my wounded state. He can place me in a safe refuge. He can start to work out the things in my body that need to be worked out. He can work out the things in my soul that need to be worked out. He can work out the things in my thought process in order to make those things right in a safe environment with those who care and who are, who are intentional about the things that they've done. They've learned how to go through these things. And so he uses people as well to see us walk through these things so that we can be healed. Not to where we just remain in a cage as a spectator just to be used for a testimony time. But so that we can go through the process of further rehabilitation so that we can spread our wings. So that we can be ready and equipped to be released in a place of total restoration and community with him as we were originally designed to be. And in the process of healing, if anything tries to come in and and distort, disrupt, destroy anything that's happening in your healing process, then the beautiful protection of the Holy Spirit will be alive and well. And he will use others to help protect you or it will be the supernatural shield that he places around you as you walk through that salvation process. He will restore your soul, leading you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The paths of righteousness in your restoration will lead you into a position of being able to be seen in the fullest potential that you have. So then, when you are able to be restored and you're in a good position, you can then start to fly and he will prepare a table before you in the presence of the enemies. But in that table, the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. 
in those tables, the, the restoration that you've encountered will allow you not to feel like the prey, but you can see the victory that he's made inside of you. You will not be intimidated to the position of retreating back into those old wounded ways, but you'll be able to eat pleasantly because his, your, your cup overflows. Yep. You will not be without, but you will be with overflow. Then able not to just have overflow for yourself, but you can then provide it to those enemies. His rod and staff, they comfort you, knowing that he can keep you in the position in the places that you need to be as he corrects you into the places so that you know that you're not going to be off kiltered, but you can fly correctly. Fly straight, fly high, and then you can have a good aerial pos uh, position of being able to see what's going on because you're listening to his voice and functioning in the way that he's called you to function. Yep. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He will not leave you or forsake you. God will dwell in the house of the Lord, his sanctuary forever. And so for this, I'm going to read in closing Psalm 150 again. Keeping these things that we just talked about in mind, now view this passage. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The last halal. This is the final picture and image that we get in the book of Psalms. Even within the 48% of those disorientation stage two Psalms, the 8% of those disorientation stage one Psalms, even in, in the midst of all those things, the 15% of the reorientation, come on. With all the things that have transpired, all the things that have happened, all the experiences that you've had, at the very tail end of your time being here on earth, you can sit here in Psalm 150 with a full exuberant praise, be able to glorify God for all the things that he had done, all the things that he did, all the things. I mean, the just the imagery of the sanctuary tells of the testimony of God's goodness in your life. Praise him in his sanctuary. And then you get to the tail end where you can praise the Lord with every single thing that you have, with all of creation, the resounding praise the Lord. Let's stand. Book of Psalms has a great methodology for the rhythms of life. Our rhythms for life deal much with this. I, I feel like it's important for us to be able to go back to these Psalms over and over again. If you're not reading the Psalms regularly, I encourage you to do so. And anything that you're experiencing and encountering, you know that God is the God of restoration and of refuge. He's a mighty fortress. He's a good God. Things happen, circumstance occur, but his name is made known and made powerful and made worthy. And it is for his name's sake that we're walking through this. You have the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of his working in your life. And so with everything that you have, every breath that you hold, everything that you contain, praise, 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 praise.
the Lord. So, Father, I pray a prayer prayer of blessing right now over each and every one of these people. Lord, in whatever circumstance they're in in life, whatever phase, Lord, that you would meet them, that they would hear your voice, that they would recognize it, that they would have a great foundation as they know you and they grow to know you even more, a great foundation of orientation of who you are and what you do, your character and your nature. Lord, that whenever things happen in a in life, a disorientation process of, of, of circumstance or trials, Lord, that they would be able to quickly move into a position of listening for your voice to see what it is that they need to do in the midst of that trial. And that, Father, they will faithfully walk through in obedience the things that you're asking of them, the things that you're requiring of them, so that they can encounter healing and that those around them and those in the middle of that circumstance can also inquire healing. And that, Lord, that whenever the testimony happens, that they will not keep their lips shut, but that they will glorify you and give you praise and that they will honor you so that other people can be encouraged and uplifted and understand that you are still who you have claimed to be time and time and time again. Thank you, God, for your sanctuary, for your healing place of restoration, for your protection and for your strength and for your deliverance and for your steadfastness. Lord, that you have been there for us, you will be there for us, and you are there for us now. Thank you that you transcend trial to the position of seeing and knowing what it takes for us to see through those delivering processes. So we have faith and trust and we offer our faith and hope in you because you are worthy of it. You are great. You are powerful. You are mighty. In you, we find our fortress. We love you. We praise you. We give you thanks. And again, Lord, we pray for Sherman and Virginia, Lord, and the places that they're at right now, that you would touch their bodies, touch their mind, be with the doctors, be with the nurses, be with the hospital staff, be with the insurance companies, be with the family, be with the friends, be with all the things that are part of that, Lord. Provide for them exponentially and let them be a great witness to those who they're around in Jesus' name. We speak healing to Sherman's body, healing to Virginia's body. Quick and rapid restoration in Jesus' name. give you praise God in Jesus name I pray and everybody said amen Amen. you guys have a wonderful Sunday if you would like prayer we'd love to pray with you